All right, welcome back to the PCS Podcast, your home for all things competitive Pokemon TCG. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the Perth Regional and the results regarding to that. We're going to dive into a quick MetaShare study regarding said regional. We have a cool listener question, and it's been a hot topic of discussion online. And then we also have some special guests from Controlled Chaos Gaming, and then we'll wrap the show up with our Vancouver Regionals predictions. Matt. Andy, welcome to the podcast. How are you guys, man? Matt, you go first. I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having us, and uh, we can't wait to get started. Very cool. Andy. Heck yeah. I'm doing fantastic. I just got off a uh, long day at work. Had to take my girlfriend to work. Uh, she got in a wreck not too long ago, but uh, she's all good, so that's good. But uh, had to take her to work really early this morning, so I'm pretty tired, but excited for this podcast and to head into these questions yeah very cool happy to have both of you here justin my man how are you i'm good i'm a little tired too had a long night with the kiddo last night she decided she wanted to wake up like every uh hour just and you know have fun with us so it was uh pretty fun um i also came off of a long weekend of just doing outside stuff um Built my wife a little box garden in the backyard, and then on Sunday I actually won an award for one of the beers I make at the brewery, which was at an outdoor event um, here in Florida, so it was like 87 degrees um, Mm. already, and yeah, so just a lot of outdoor stuff the past three days, um, and sweating my butt off, so I'm I'm tired, I'm ready for winter again already, and uh, we're not not even into summer yet, so... But other than that, I'm good. Didn't do too much Pokemon stuff, but um, I'm ready to get back into it. Yeah, I heard you had a podium finish with your with your guys' signature drink, so that's super sick and very happy for you. Uh, me, myself, um, we had a pretty big winter storm come through. Uh, Saturday night, I went to locals, played some Pokemon, and then the drive home. I Even on the freeway, I don't think we were going any faster than like 25 miles an hour just because of how icy it was. And, you know, usually it's like 20 minute drive and this turned into about an hour and a half drive back home. (laughs) And, uh, it was pretty agonizing. I had some home responsibilities like feeding the dog, walking the dog, feeding all the cats and stuff like that. So it, uh, it definitely abbreviated my night with all that stuff that I had to do. Uh, but other than that, my schedule at work changed. So now I'm off Sunday, Monday. So I definitely had some time to recuperate from that, which was kind of nice. But I wish I could say I watched some Pokemon, but they didn't stream the Perth Regional, so that sounds like a good time to transition into the results recap. Uh, The results recap is sponsored by Ultimate Guard, and it's time to upgrade your TCG storage or just to re-sleeve your favorite deck. Be sure to check out Ultimate Guard's premium accessories. Perth had 96 Masters. This is a League Cup with a lot of CP. You guys. Yeah. (laughs) The first place deck lost on Toolbox with the uh, Crown Zenith Zamacenta. I am a huge fan of this card. And this deck looks very similar to uh, Pablo Meza's uh, Lost Box deck that he played in San Diego, but featuring Zamazenta. What do you all like about it? Let's start with you, Matt. Well, I do want to mention first that uh, I think it's very fitting that in one of the last Sword and Shield era tournaments... Um, I'm sure we'll get into this deck next, but uh, the Zamazenta takes down the Zacian. I thought that was super cool to see. But um, about this deck, um, I really just like that. I like the Temple especially in there because people can't go for the lone Ice Q strategy. Um, it can also be pretty good into Lugia. I do think that is paired pretty well with Roxanne, but I don't see a Roxanne in this list. But uh, I'd say that's the card that sticks out the most to me is the Temple of Sinnoh. Andy, what are your thoughts? First of all, I'm a huge fan of Lost Box myself. I've played it for quite a while now, about five months. And uh, the two bosses orders is a must for me. And I'm really glad to see that this person thought so as well. It's just such an important card, not only in deck matchups like the Mirror, where you just have to take down those Pokemon that hit the bench right away, Uh, especially against some of those decks like Lugia. Once they get out of the active, you need a way to get it back in 
to that active spot. So really excited to see the double boss there and just a solid, consistent list all around. Very cool, Justin. Yeah, um, one of the things I like about this list is the the double Raikou in there. You saw kind of people when they're starting to make these toolboxes, they're cutting one and going down to just the one, um, which kind of if it gets prized and things like that, you know, then you're out of luck. Uh, but with having two, it's a little more consistency to get that, as well as just kind of put the pressure on um, if someone doesn't play something like a Manaphy, which we see sometimes in lists like Lugia and things like that, you know, they go back and forth if they're going to play that or Dunsparce or you know, both, neither. Um, another cool thing that we're seeing too is um, seems like Derek went with a very uh, ordinary rod heavy build. A lot of times we're seeing a, the list go with two and then one energy recycler just to go really heavy on the energy uh, recursion in here. But the fact that they're actually really thinking ahead on recouping some of those Pokemon um, being able to do things like Sableye just over and over and over again. I mean, realistically, they could use Sableye eight times if they needed to. I mean, granted, they would lose the game by that point if eight were knocked out. But, I mean, they just have so many options to recur things very aggressively. Um, and I, I really do like that. And like Matt said, too, with the Temple of Sinnoh, I think that's just really strong in here, um, especially since they're not running the capture energies, which we've kind of seen some lost boxes start to throw those in there just to help with that early game setup and things like that. But they chose not to run those and just go with a heavier basic energy count, which is kind of cool. It plays into the favor of um, Duraludon a little bit more, although that's always going to be a harder matchup. Um, it just kind of helps so you don't have to worry about, oh, is this capture energy attached to something that, you know, like the Zamazenta, so now I can't do any damage with it. Yeah, I tend to agree. What really sticks out to me in this deck is the Math Fixer and Galarian Zigzagoon. You're already running four scoop-up nets for the small amount of time that you still can, but it proves to fix everything. You know, you're sh you're shooting things with Raikou for 120 in the active and the bench. That extra Zigzagoon ping is that push that you need to take out at something like a Greninja on the bench. When it comes to the Zamazenta, the math is there too, because if you're hitting for 220 with Zam, you're not knocking out the Dragonite in the, the Dragonite lost box, so that extra Zigzagoon ping is definitely going to help you there. Obviously, giving yourself that extra push with things like the Lost Mind from Sableye seems very, very prevalent as well. Uh, my big fear, though, is looking at the Aichi results, uh, things that don't evolve tend to be stronger and a lot more consistent, and I think that this is the strength the Lost Box has, is putting nothing in it that evolves whatsoever, and it uh, gives me mild PTSD of things like the uh, the tag teams obviously not giving up three prizes, but slapping down a very diverse and useful Pokemon that doesn't have to evolve from anything or need anything in the deck to evolve to have that utility just makes it very very strong which leads me into my next point the deck that lost to this unfortunately did have an evolution pokemon and i'm a big fan of zosh and v-star and the lost box has always looked a little bit stronger than the mew shoes engine what can you guys tell me about this deck who you want to go first let's go matt all right, well, I do want to mention that um, I guess the first thing I noticed in this is having the Zacian V-Star is really good because, again, it is an evolution Pokemon, and uh, it can get through things like... Um, Flying Peak. There you go, Flying Pikachu. is on the tip of my tongue there. But yeah, it's really good against Flying Pikachu, and uh, I really like how the list is is actually very streamlined. There's not too much going on. Like in the Amazing Rayquaza and Raikou deck, there's just a lot of attackers. But uh, I'm seeing one Cramorant, one Sableye, Zamazenta, the Zacian line, and then the Kyogre to finish the game. So there is a whole bunch of energies in here. Um, I see a Capture Energy. I'm not. Uh, I'm personally not too keen on there being only one Capture Energy compared to something like potentially a fourth Quick Ball. But it does seem to you know be there for the consistency. Uh, the one Raihan, one Boss's Orders, one Bird Keeper. Um, in my Lost Box decks that I've built, I haven't seen a ton of use for the Bird Keeper. Typically, I'd prefer it to be that fourth Escape Rope or uh, even a second Boss's Orders, like Andy had mentioned earlier. Uh, running two Boss's Orders is super, super powerful. But uh, another thing I do like in this deck is the Echoing Horn. I feel like a lot of players do have to naturally play around it. But as it decreases in popularity, as it has recently, um, there's that surprise factor of having that there. And I think that's super good. 
And then of course, again, having the Kyogre to finish off the game and take uh, multiple prize cards when you need it. Andy, tell me your thoughts. Honestly, honestly, I am personally not a huge fan of this list. Uh, it's not that I dislike Zashi and V-Star. A lot of it to me is the uh, kind of the one-ofs feel like tech cards that were almost unnecessary for their matchup. You had mentioned that there was 90, uh, 96 players in the in the tournament, there are some cards in here that uh, I wouldn't personally play. I know one of them is Switch. I think Switch cards are a little more consistent against the Mirror. Obviously, uh, might have been a factor uh, since they were playing against it. The one of Air Balloon I've seen for a second Switch card, uh, fourth Escape Rope. Echoing Horn, I will admit, is a very good inclusion in the deck. But uh, Pokestop has felt like, to me, one of the one of my least favorite cards to run, one of my most favorite cards to high roll on, right? It's uh, one of those cards that can make or break your tournament. I And I'm not a huge fan of going into a uh, 200 CP grudge match with a card that discards three of my cards without me looking at them. So uh, not a huge fan of Pokestop myself, but uh, otherwise the deck looks pretty good. Uh, the double recycler is really consistent, I will say that much. The capture energy is a little weird. The one Sableye I have found myself to be pretty consistent. I don't think you need more than it, especially with the heavy ball. You can get it out late game uh, either by unprizing it or just heavy ball. And you're not going to get a knockout with Sableye until probably turn three or four. So it's not too big of a deal. But otherwise, I think, you know, the list was definitely uh, as consistent as it needed to be. Zashi and V-Star super good also for stopping Mew VMAX, something that uh, this deck struggles a little bit with is that mu v max not having access to the drapeon so justin yeah i'll uh i want to touch back on that pokey gear um yeah i i've kind of noticed the same thing andy with anyone that i've played against you know lost box um pokey gear just seems like a trap even for a deck that plays so many items um at knoxville i played against a lost box player with like somewhat of a similar build to this they weren't running the the two prize zamazenta and stuff like that or uh Zacian in there but i just the biggest turn in, in game two uh was he literally did it and he discarded dragonite uh cramorant and uh greninja off of it and it was just, it was just like that's literally i was looking for all three of those and now they're in my discard pile and i still have to find an ordinary rod to get them back so it was just like I always feel like it's a trap on that card. Even if someone puts it out and I'm running an item-heavy deck, I usually don't ever do it because I'm going to discard stuff I need usually. Um, but other than that, um, I've been a big fan of Echoing Horn lately, especially in a lot of these decks that are single prizers. Um, I was obviously running one in Reggie's recently to try to get around that Ice Cube play. Um, here, I, it is a great card, but I also feel like you already have a lot of outs with having that evolution of uh, Zacian V. Um, but maybe that's just for like a, you know, bring up a two prizer, or bring back a two prizer, boss it up, knock it out with Zacian. Um, could be it, but I don't know. I, I do like the fact that the items themselves are consistent, but then the fact that there's so many one-offs with the supporters, Pokemon, things like that, it just feels like they're kind of high rolling on the fact that they're going to get everything they need when they need it and i guess and yes lost box has that capability because you build such large hands and a lot of people aren't playing marnie as much but you know my luck i'd be facing against everyone that's playing marnie in the tournament and then all those one-ofs would go right back into the deck so i don't know i i've been a big i talk about it all the time i'm a super big fan of consistency with like a one or two tech not um you know i'm trying quickly roughly counting one two three four five six seven eight nine like at least 15 plus one ofs in the deck. Um, so, and whenever you're having to like get rid of random things off comfy, it's like, okay, cool. I got my um, Echoing Horn and my Raihan. Which one do I get rid of when Echoing Horn I really need, but Raihan's great for a return play and stuff, or, you know, a comeback mechanic and stuff like that. So it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's my, my experience with it. I just, I can see where this deck can get you far, but I also feel like this is, the one-ofs are probably which caused their demise in the finals at the end of the day, too. So here's my thoughts on the matter. Uh, the Echoing Horn is incredibly strong for Kyogre. When you look at the top cut that this consists of, it was Arctura and Double Vika and Double um, Lugia. 
obviously being able to get around the Manaphys that are no longer having that one of Wash Energy tech, it's going to be super simple with things like the Sableye using the Pokestop Stadium to be able to get to the bottom of your deck as quick as possible to promise that the last cards in your deck are energy for a very strong Mirage Gate play with the Kyogre. That Echoing Horn tosses a two-prize Pokemon back onto the bench, and now instead of taking out two Archaeops or like an Archaeops and a Luminion, you're now taking, you know, that Stoutland that they never recovered and a Luminion as well for four prizes, which really tilts it in your favor. Uh, no Skysteel Stone cuteness in here. Obviously, you want to use the Zacian V-Stars. Um, V-Star power in it to be able to hit 310 and just level the playing field quite a bit against like a three-prize Pokemon or something with like V-Guard energy on it. Um, but I really like the Zacian V. You're only going to build hands in a deck like this. Obviously, Marnie's a huge factor in something like this. But from playing single-prize deck, it's in the past, like the Tool Drop, Whimsicott, and stuff like that. I always liked adding additional sources to my hand, uh, resources to my hand, if I wasn't going to attack that turn. And if you can get Zacian V out your turn one, even against something like Lugia, yes, they might gust it, but now you have three extra cards into your hand. You're three cards deeper into your deck and that much closer to being able to really satisfy a play with Kyogre. Um, other than that, the list is cool. I would have liked to see something a little bit more consistent, running like a 2-2 line of Zacian and streamlining it, but I understand that the Kyogre demands a lot of resources in terms of energy. Yeah, yep, I agree. Um, and I guess that makes sense too with the Kyogre aspect, with the Echoing Horn and everything like that, but yeah, like I said, it, and some decks are just not my cup of tea, and that's the same for everyone with certain decks and stuff like that, you know. But, yeah, I can see where that could definitely come into play. Um, so, either way, they piloted it further than I ever have at a regional, so I can't complain. Yeah, one thing I will say, though, is that if that Zacian V-Star was a 1-1 Dialga, it would be a lot stronger. That Echoing Horn play becomes <laughs> a lot scarier being able to forward that extra turn into play, and then you get just that many more resources into the discard pile and or loss zone to forward that Kyogre late game. Uh, no real notable shoutouts because there just weren't that many people there. So we're going to transition into the MetaShare study. This MetaShare study is brought to you by Ink Gaming. Ink Gaming has a wide variety of custom playmats, dice bags, face masks, sleeves, dice, and deck boxes. And when you use the code PCSPOD10 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your entire order. I had mentioned this previously, but the top eight consisted of two Vika, two Lugia, a couple Lost Box, and an Arc Dura. This is a very small field, but do you think we jumped the gun a little bit on Vikavolt V? Matt, what are you thinking? I don't think so at all. I think it was a really good call, and uh, I know that Natalie Miller and Christian Hosbani, um, I'm, I'm at least I'm pretty sure they are they are in the same testing group, and uh, they both chose this deck because of its power level um i haven't seen any lists yet so i don't know if it's paired with um aerodactyl palkia or anything like that but um just the power of the turn one item lock especially is incredible because it's just really difficult to play around even if you're a very good player you've tested against the deck that that still doesn't help you play item cards on your turn so I think they made a very, very good meta call for this tournament. Andy? You know, I'm a huge fan of Vikavolt, so I'm going to give it a little more credit than it probably deserves. But um, absolutely, I would have gone to this tournament with a Vikavolt deck, hands down. Uh, if I was to go to Knoxville, I would have taken a Vikavolt deck. Uh, that being said, it's one of the worst matchups now for Lost Box because of that Zamazenta's ability. Uh, we didn't even mention it, but the Zamazenta has an ability that reduces all damage by 30 uh, if it has an energy attached, and that Vikavolt hits for 50, so it's only hitting the Zamazenta for 20 damage. So you're very easy to establish the Zamazenta, keep it in play for about 10 turns while you're attacking every turn, and then once it goes down, you have another attacker built up by then, which I assume is going to be why that Zacian V-Star was so was so good. Um, because, you know, you're able to build your hand and then evolve into the Zacian V-Star and take a knockout, and then they have no way to respond. So, But Vikavolt, I think, was a, a good choice, especially for the Swiss rounds. Really easy to just um, not only beat players that don't know how item lock works, how to... Uh, conserve resources, but 
but also really good against that um, the Lugia V-Star that we also saw two of. Justin, what are your thoughts, brother? Yeah, no, I I actually love Vikavolt. Um, Thursday, before all Perth was going on, I was actually testing Vikadactyl with our testing group for an upcoming uh, 1K we've got going on just to... You know, throw another thing in the hat Not that's not Reggie's or Duraludon. So just changing it up some. And it just flowed so smooth. And just, I mean, you catch people off guard. Um, and it actually makes me, like, amazed that our two, fi- you know, the two final decks, first and second, were lost boxes. Because in reality, I, I'm shocked that it wasn't Vikavolt versus Vikavolt. I mean, being able to turn off the, the fact that they can't use items and literally lost boxes, nothing but items amazes me in that aspect um i mean it does make sense that you know natalie lost to jake with the uh the rcs drought on because i mean they're just one shotting and they're not using much items other than hyper potions anyways but um yeah i don't know i i think vikavolt's really strong and it's it's kind of sad that it's just now becoming so strong at the end of our format like i tried to make it work a year ago probably and it was just like the lists weren't there, the the consistency wasn't there, it wasn't figured out yet, and now that it's figured out, it's like, it's super fun to play. When you're playing, it's not super fun to play against, obviously, because you're not used to playing that style, but, like, it's just really cool, the combos you can have with things like Cross Switchers, um, you know, the Zapdos from Pokemon Go that adds the additional damage, um, the Aerodactyl to just shut down Lugia completely from the get-go, so, I mean, it's, it's really cool um, that it's actually seen a lot of play, and um, item lock historically has been very strong, so you know I think it's going to stay strong as long as we have it in um, our formats. So we'll have to see what happens once this rotates out. Uh, it's Bennett EX time, baby. Um, just for <laughs> some player insight for our listeners and you guys, neither of them were playing the Aerodactyl. Uh, they were just streamlining Vikavolt, Melanie, Raikou, the Drapion V, both of them running a one count of Sky Seal Stone and Forest Seal Stone. For just that extra push you need for the specific matchup you need. Um, Christian opting to go with one judge, three shoes, and Natalie going four shoes, no judge. So these are very, very streamlined. Vikavolt, no fancy tech, no Regieleki, no no Vikavolt, no nothing like that. Uh, their matchups are what killed them, though. One going against Arcadura and another one going against what is considered uh, Turbo Lugia, which is very consistent counts of everything. Yep. Uh, would, it is. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. I would like to mention that uh, I think the judge seems really good in Vikavolt, just because when your opponent starts to get those item cards in their hand, um, if you need to potentially break that lock for a turn, you can combo it with a judge and put them to a much lower hand size and give them less options. Yeah, for sure. I, I like the judge too, but I also think the explosiveness of promising that turn one um, item lock is necessary, and I think shoes gives you that opportunity. But both have an incredible amount of merit. Uh, but yeah, like Vikavolt could have definitely been a really good call. Obviously, making top eight at any regional, any size, is still super sick. But I was wondering if maybe that would have been the play for Vancouver. And if now, I don't want to say the spice has been revealed because these are just lists that are one or two card off cards off of the Vikavolt we've seen as of late. Um, I think that the field's not going to be as Vika heavy. And we are unfortunately stuck in this format for just a little bit longer, so we'll kind of have to see what transpires. No Mew in top cut, though. Seems like a, even though the two lost boxes that we saw at the top didn't run Drapion, I just don't think there were a lot of players on Mew for this event whatsoever. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I just got to say, 96 players, man, I know we've mentioned it a few times, but like, that was pre-pandemic league cups in Florida for me. Like that's wild. That so like seed, top seed was five oh two. Like that's just wild. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. It, it like I wonder if there's a lot of people who intended on going and just didn't, and now they're shooting themselves in the foot because they just they saw the numbers creeping up so quickly. Like every event was getting bigger than the last. Perth being incredibly hard to travel to because it's in Australia. Um, just I don't know. Feels kind of feels kind of weird. Feels like a lot of people either didn't show up or just nobody signed up because they don't want to play in this format anymore. Because their next regional is also in this format, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? 
Oh I yeah, mean, so, I did see yeah, something about like, all, it's, all the it's regionals. April first, yeah, yeah. That's really, yeah. really unfortunate. Maybe that one will be like ninety-five players too. <laughs> <laughs> might have, might fly to Australia to get some points. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's only like seventeen hundred dollars. Um, we're gonna transition to the listener question. Uh, George on Instagram asked, "What notes are competitors typically taking during a match, and what should a player be tracking during the game?" And I'm gonna switch the lineup up and andy i want to hear your thoughts first brother all righty here so this is a little bit of a hot take but i i have been playing the game for a very long time now so um i have found uh that taking notes during a match taking physical notes is not uh for me that being said i'd see a lot of players see success with it um it's definitely one of those things that helps you with prize checking helps you with remembering uh, math on some things. Sometimes you go, okay, yeah, um, X Pokemon two shots me with a choice belt, right? Stuff like that. Um, But most of the stuff you can get out during your testing. That being said, I think the mental notes are 100% necessary. So I like the second question here. What should players be tracking? I think, and I do a little bit of coaching on the side, that... um, One of the number one things to look at is wind conditions. Some of the wind conditions can be hard to find. Uh, I know Matt and I played against uh, Shintaro Ito on an online tournament a while ago, and we actually almost won against him because he ran out of energy, and uh, he didn't have any more switch cards in his deck, and we figured he had one prize left. If that was a switch card, then we would win the game. It wasn't, unfortunately, but we were able to find a win condition, even though we were six prizes to one prize. So things like that are always something to consider. I just uh, recently, too, uh, piloted a Lost Zone Vikavolt deck. This is the weirdest thing ever, I know. But uh, I was able to lock some of my opponents out of the game by waiting until they discarded um, all three electric energy from their Lost Box Rayquaza Raikou deck, and then using Paralyzing Bolt, and they no longer have a way to attack with any any Pokemon. So uh, stuff like that is really important to remember. Um, and one of the easiest ways to remember that stuff is to just play the matchups over and over again, over and over again, remembering what they discard, what's typical in the decks. Uh, these are all things that should be tracked during the game, I think. And remembering to not only... Um, track these but also track your own resources i think that uh playing the game for your opponent and for yourself is kind of the best way i've found to play the game and track all of that stuff every single time you look at their discard pile you should be looking you go okay this deck typically runs four temple i'm gonna look for a fourth temple right so stuff like that it it does get a lot harder when they have a loss zone too i will say that much uh checking a loss zone and a discard pile can be uh, rough sometimes but uh luckily it's public knowledge so i think those are definitely my favorite things to track during a game very cool matt what are your thoughts on note taking so on the opposite end of the spectrum from andy uh about taking notes i 100 percent take notes in all of my matches except for casual ones of course but like for regionals or a recent 1k that we went to the most important thing that i note of course is prize cards first And then the other thing that I note is card counts in my opponent's deck. So for some players, like Andy especially, they can remember a whole bunch of different things at once. Whereas um, my play style, and I know for my ability, I can't quite do that yet. So it just gives me that, that ease of mind to be able to just look over and recognize my price cards. Say, for example, I'm using... I'm getting ready to use Mirage Gate. I can check my Lost Zone, check my discard real quick, and then just kind of know what's available in the deck so that I don't Mirage Gate for zero or one energy by accident. So it's just really nice to be able to have that. And then for important uh, important card counts in my opponent's deck, such as Boss's Orders or Energy Recyclers, Ordinary Rods, um, things like that, or, uh, or even energy count, uh, if it's a three-game set, obviously it's more uh, applicable, but uh, I write down how many of that card they played or how many I assume they play. Uh, another thing about that is knowing the meta. So if your opponent's playing Lugia V-Star, you should kind of know 
you know, 52, 53, if not a few more of the cards in their deck. But you never really know what their tech cards are. So if they use an Echoing Horn on you in game one, I think it'll be good to just kind of note that down. Because I do end up forgetting a lot of things during my turns or during the match. So again, just looking over at my notepad and just seeing that, it can help me bring my mind to other important things during that match. Very cool. Justin, I know you're the note taker. What are your thoughts, brother? So, yeah, I actually, I, I really go back and forth, honestly. Like, um, so for Orlando, I had been testing with taking notes. Um, I bought like a little, one of those LCD notepads so that erases in between matches and stuff like that. Um, and I had been, te- I, like I said, I during practice and stuff, we actually practiced specifically with using them. And then all through or, or my Orlando, Ah, sorry, I can't talk. My Orlando run, um, I actually didn't take notes once. Um, and right now, I'm actually in a phase where I'm not taking notes. Um, granted, uh, like Andy has said, too, with like just getting to know your deck in and out, um, I kind of, when I do my first initial deck search, I'm looking for the important cards, the um, how many counts of this, how many counts of that, how many energies. Um, and I'm doing like my mental math um, on everything and what I can afford to kind of burn and things like that. Um, And it is kind of hard to recognize everything whenever you aren't taking notes. But one thing I noticed personally for myself, and the reason why I stopped taking notes at this point, was whenever I was taking notes, I kind of felt like I was taking attention off the game itself as far as, like, what my opponent was playing and things like that. Because I'm, like, making sure I'm looking at my notes and paying attention where, you know, as long as I'm paying attention to what cards I have in my hand, uh, what's in deck, you know, as far as the important stuff that I need for that matchup. And then every time further through the game, I'm doing, you know, more in-depth searches. Okay, you know, I'm pretty sure I saw both my bosses, but let me double-check that both of them were there instead of, you know, just one. Um, so I, I'm, I'm middle of the road on it. Like, I can take notes, but at the same time, like, in high-intense situations, I'm so focused on the game itself. I, I haven't been taking notes lately, so it's it's that weird... It, do, it does help when you take those notes, especially when you recognize it. But at the same time, um, I'm realistically impartial. Um, I know like one of my testing group guys, he's gotten so much better because he has started taking notes. Like He's been able to recognize things in his deck. So taking notes is a great thing for people. Um, it just, you know, to each their own, like I said, or like Andy said, that you know it doesn't work for him. Lately, it's really felt like it has not worked for me. Um, but that's also because, I don't know, like I said, I just get so focused on the game itself. I feel like if I stop what I'm doing to pull out this pad, right down, in theory, it should help me. But it's like I'm doing something extra, remembering to do something extra on top of playing the game itself. So that's kind of where I'm at with it is it can help. But also, if you know your deck well enough, you shouldn't have to. You should be able to see what's going on and then the other thing that i wanted to add into that just clicked um for me personally when i'm building my decks um i am very specific on how i build my deck so like certain one of trainer cards um you know my supporters i try to make full arts and i try to make them very um different full arts like so if i got a four count of colors those will all be the same arts but it's going to be the art that like pops different from um a research so it's not going to have the similar hues and things like that so that way I'm doing a quick search, and I'm just looking at the edge of the card. I can go, okay, cool, I've got one, two, three, three colors in deck. And then um, with items specifically, like for my Reggie's deck, my one of Lost Vacuum that I was playing and my one of Echoing Horn were two gold cards. So that way when I'm, I'm, then they were the only gold cards in deck. So that way when I'm looking through, if I saw two gold cards, I knew both were in deck. If I only saw one, I looked real quick which one it was, and I was good to go. So doing stuff like that for me helps with the mental remembrance because the specific arts, uh, like, you know, your brain goes, okay, this specific art, I'm supposed to have this many of that. This specific art, I'm supposed to have this many of that. And so same thing when I'm playing, like, a V deck. I get full arts, or even um, if they're the full arts are similar in color, one of them I might have just as a regular art, so that way it doesn't blend in with something, and I'm confusing it as the other cards. So doing something like that, for me, personally helps uh, with doing a deck search and realizing what I do have in deck, which takes me away from having to take notes. Yep, completely understood. So I'm just going to reiterate the question real quick. What notes are competitors typically taking during a match? 
I know we've seen on stream Azul, he pulled out his little notepad thing at OCIC and started writing down things after his first deck search. It really does depend on the deck that you are playing. Lugia is obviously counting the energies and the outs that, are, that pertain to that specific matchup. So if you're playing against Lost Box, it's probably pretty important to understand where your Radiant Charizard is, as that it's a really good late game closer, as well as your Manaphy. And if you are playing uh, something like Lost Box, you obviously want to know what kind of rods you have, how uh, frugal you can play with your switch cards and stuff like that. Um, you really just need to understand what assets you have available to you. You can very quickly do a deck check and see what you've prized, but it's not what you've prized. It's just the things that you don't have access to now to help you start steamrolling the game in your favor. So yes, if you prized a single uh, psychic energy, it's going to be a little difficult to play around with that one psychic energy, but you'll know off of a future flower selecting, you won't have to make that hard decision of getting rid of it or having it because if that keeps you away from uh, taking that prize to get that psychic energy later in the game if it goes to the loss zone you're done done so that's something you definitely want to note when you're playing a specific matchup now when it comes to playing the game itself at the table I do not like writing anything down until after the game what I do like to do is take a dice and set it next to my deck box and flip it every time I've seen a resource in my opponent's deck. I have a rough estimate of how many card counts should be in specific decks. Like Reggie's, you're running almost three rod every time. They're running four, they're very special. Uh, but if you notate how many they have, you'll really get an understanding of where you are in the game and how many resources they actually have left. So you could chase after specific targets in the game versus taking out everything that's in the active every time. Um, same with boss's orders, same with energy counts and Lugia. Being able to flip that dice and just count the limited things that they have will definitely help you later in the game, especially in webcam games, because you can't look at their discard pile, and it's just cumbersome to have them like hold it up to the camera and then shuffle through everything. Obviously, that's a very like casual encounter, but it still helps you to transition that same uh, level of expertise to something like a regional. Uh, but that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, and I just have one more thing to add um, that I I think uh, Justin brought up. The artworks are definitely something that uh, makes it easier to, if you're trying to take notes on somebody else's uh, and you have different artworks, it's kind of hard sometimes. I know sometimes I'll look at my opponent's discard pile and see three different bosses' orders and think they're three different supporters. So uh, hats off to those people that can uh, work like that. But yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that I think is really important for uh, whether you should or shouldn't take notes is uh, if you have a mental like reset button. I know Matt and I have had this conversation many a times. Uh, if I see my opponent's deck and they play a uh, fourth rod in their Regigigas deck, it's going to stand out to me, and I'm going to know immediately that it's not a standard list. And then uh, I'm actually going to go a step further and go, well, what don't they have? Uh, in their deck because they have this extra card. So then I go look through the deck and go, what's a standard deck have? What are they missing? And it's pretty easy in game one to go, okay, we played a pretty much a full game. Uh, this is the card they don't have. And that's something that if you do need to take notes, 100% should be a thing. What don't they have? I think what they do have is really good. Like Matt mentioned, what they don't have is even better because then you can play to those outs even further. So... That's all I have left for that one. <laughs> no, super cool. And if anybody else has questions like these, uh, be sure to hit up our Twitter um, at PCS underscore pod. And my DMs on um, Twitter and Instagram are open as well at Katana TCG. But now let's dive into the big topic and why Matt and Andy are here in the first place. Uh, we've invited Controlled Chaos Gaming on to come talk about um, some webcam games and their talk about their content that they're doing you know they're playing cards and giving us a very visual a very great a great visual perspective on how to play this format and the next format with you know whatever you have access to in a in a webcam video platform which is really really cool uh before we let them talk too much about themselves um when it comes to their tabletop and webcam play i want to play 20 questions and i'm going to do this for both of you guys Sounds good. Who Sounds wants good. to go first? <laughs> Matt, you got it. I got it. Let's do it. Okay, you've got a minute to answer all these questions, though. Okay. Cool? 
Yep. Let's start the timer now. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite Pokemon? Magikarp. Favorite deck ever? Suicune Ludicolo. A player you admire? A top player I admire? Andrew Mahone. A place you would like to travel to for a regional? Boise, Idaho. <laughs> Summer, winter, spring, or fall? Summer. Coke or Pepsi? Uh, neither. Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Pineapple and pizza, yes or no? 100% yes. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Team Aqua, Team Magma? Team Aqua. A watch VODs or live stream? Ooh, uh, VODs. Uh, favorite type of music? Hip-hop. Favorite activity outside of the TCG? Basketball. Favorite athlete? That's a tough one. John Wall. Yellow or silver borders on cards? Silver borders. Full art or alt art? Full art. Buy singles or open packs? Buy singles. Comfy or chorus first? <laughs> chorus. <laughs> Heads is gonna no. hate me. Head is gonna hate me for that one. <laughs> Heads or tails? <laughs> Heads. And last four digits of your social security number. Should I actually do it? Should I actually say no. it? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't know them. No, very good. You had two seconds left. Let's go. All right. All right. Andy, your turn, brother. Oh, boy. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite Pokemon? Sylveon. Favorite deck ever? Sylveon EX. A uh, player you admire? Andrew Mahone. A place you would like to travel to play a regional at? Las Vegas. Ugh, that'll never happen. Summer, winter, spring, or fall? Fall. Coke or Pepsi? Neither. Pineapple and pizza? Absolutely not. <laughs> Dogs or cats? Dogs. Team Aqua, Team Magma? Team Aqua. Watch VODs or live stream? Definitely live stream. Favorite type of music? EDM. Favorite activity outside of the TCG? Dancing. Favorite athlete? Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Yellow or silver borders? Silver. Full art or alt art? Alt art. Buy singles or open packs? Literally both. I lose way too much money. Come for your chorus first. Definitely come Faye first. Heads Don't or, let Matt tell you otherwise. Heads or tails? Uh, whatever my opponent picks. And mother's maiden name. Oh, god. No, I'm just kidding. You don't uh, have to answer that. I have no idea what that is. Oh, no. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. You had four seconds left. Um, yeah. Just to reiterate the whole Las Vegas thing. Unfortunately, you can't have competition there without betting. It's like in the state rules. So because kids play this game and it's like illegal to bet on kids things, it'll never happen. There will never be a regional in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's go Reno then. That same thing. All of Nevada. <laughs> oh, no. All of Nevada. There will never be a regional oh. in Nevada. <laughs> Damn, did not know that. Yeah, that's actually pretty funny, huh? Um, it's the reason why we can't have um, like advertise 1Ks as well in this area because if we're going to win money somebody else should be allowed to bet on it and that's unfortunately uh, not allowed in the state I'll bet on you Drew I know I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't though <laughs> I have yeah. been going on a tear as of recent though so maybe it might be a good thing so Andy, Matt, tell me about Controlled Chaos Gaming when did you guys start doing this and why do you guys do this I'll let Andy. Matt, I'll let you start. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. You guys are <laughs> sounds so nice. good. <laughs> well, we started and uh, right before the 2022-23 season, um, and it was just Andy and I at first for a good couple months or so, I would say. And the reason we started it was because we wanted to travel to the tournaments in the upcoming post-COVID season. So. Um, yeah, we uh, ended up meeting a lot of people who also wanted to be a part of it locally. And uh, we had a team of, we still have a team of about 10 to 15 people. Um, and then we eventually decided that we wanted to do some content creation. And because it was so difficult to get that, that tabletop gameplay, you know, in person, at locals, that type of thing... Um, that was where our passion for doing that kind of content developed. And also, it wasn't really common at the time to do tabletop TCG content. So we decided that that was going to be the main focus of our channel. And that is exactly how we started out. And uh, we actually 
We're at a 1K in Salt Lake City, and uh, one of our best friends there, Prince, um, he's done a bunch of business stuff, and uh, he said that for content creation, it's very difficult to constantly be having special guests, like a part of the team, and uh, like switch in and out when we do our streams and our videos, because there's like, you know, 10 to 15 of us. So we decided to bring it down for specifically the content creation side to four of us, being me, uh, Andy, Breeze, and TJ. So it's just kind of also nice for when we stream. We have two people on stream and then two people on the side testing the deck they're about to play on stream. So they kind of know how their deck work, how the deck works as we try new decks and kind of how the matchup works. So we're not going in super blind and it ends up being really productive. Very cool. Um, Andy, any notes on top of what he said? I think one of the big reasons that we also started, I know that Matt and I especially wanted to do content creation. We didn't know how we wanted to do it, what we wanted to do, but we wanted to make sure that the content that we produced was kind of fluff free. We wanted uh, people to experience what actual uh, competitive gameplay looked like. Obviously, there's content creators out there that cater towards newer players and content creators that cater towards very experienced players. Uh, but they like to show, you know, the best of their deck, the best situations, the best matches that they played that day. We just like to play games on stream and whatever games we play or what goes on YouTube. We like we like to show people the actual hard situations that we come across. Sometimes the worst matchups can turn into your best matchup, and it's just from watching one video, either from us or from one of the other content creators in the space. Uh, but sometimes you never see it because, you know, they like to show the blowouts. They like to show the games that were going bad and then they went in their favor because maybe somebody dead drew, you know. But we like to show basically everything, uh, how you would naturally play the deck to win in situations like regionals, like internationals, even like League Cups and League Challenges. Yeah, exposing the harsh reality that is the Pokemon TCG. I like it. Now... When it comes to online, tabletop, webcam gameplay versus PTCGO, what have you guys found in your own personal experiences, how it's developed your gameplay personally? Uh, I can start this one. I would just like to point out that I am a huge, I don't know if it's a hater is the word, but I don't like playing online. Uh, I've been playing for about nine years now, and I've found that playing online has... Um, kind of hindered my ability to play in person. There's a lot of actions that I think we take for granted uh, that the online clients do for us. Uh, drawing for turn is one of them. Uh, putting out your prizes, you know, checking your discard pile, which is beautifully stacked on top of each other. Uh, checking your opponent's discard pile, which is beautifully stacked on top of each other. Uh, looking at your opponent's board, seeing how many energy are underneath a Pokemon is very easy. But when you do these things on a tabletop content, it's very hard. And sometimes, you know, you don't actually know what's going on until you play the game and you realize that your opponent doesn't play like uh, their their facial expressions or something you need to look at, their hand movements or something you need to look at. Somebody accidentally drops a card. You can use that as game knowledge. You know, this stuff is all things that the online client can't teach you. And I've done many, many, many tournaments in person, done very well at them. And then I go to online and I feel like the worst player in the game because, you know, you either draw poorly and you can't make it up because you don't know what your opponent has in your hand, in their hand. You don't know if they've got a good hand, a bad hand. You can't read them, you know. I've been a uh, huge fan of uh, poker and blackjack, things that you need to kind of read your opponent, right? I used to play Magic a little bit, uh, played a little bit of MetaZoo, stuff like that. And Pokemon's very unique because... Um, it's a game that you can't play on your opponent's turn. So uh, it's very interesting because when your opponent's playing the game, you just kind of have to sit back and let them do their thing. And I feel like in, uh, you know, IRL uh, webcam wars sometimes even, um, but especially when you're playing right across from someone, it's very easy to tell if they don't have a good hand, if they have a, you know, something that they're working towards because maybe sometimes they'll go quick ball, they'll play down mana fee and go, actually, I'm going to get something else. So you know immediately that they were considering it, that that was something that you need to prepare for later in the game, right? Stuff that you would never, ever see on online because it's just a click-based format. You know, you just 
uh, find the card you want, you get the exact card, your opponent doesn't know that you were thinking about the card at all. So that's the kind of stuff that's also uh, very, very interesting and, and why I think it's a benefit to play in real life games, whether it be a webcam war or just in person sitting across from somebody. Very cool. Matt, what are your thoughts, brother? I believe the the number one most important benefit, at least in my opinion, uh, of playing uh, the tabletop game uh, rather than PTCGO or PTCG Live is you learn pace of play. And Andy knows that that was something I struggled with the most because you have to take the time to shuffle. You have to take the time to prize check. Uh, maybe even check your opponent's discard pile. Set up the game. Whereas PTCGO and PTCGL just do it for you. And it's just so much better, especially if you're going to be playing in, uh, you know, even league events. But mostly like regionals when it's a best of three. You learn that you have 50 minutes to complete up to three games. And uh, piggybacking off of that note would be when to scoop. Like, let's say you're very behind in a game. In PTCGO, it's, unless it's an on, a special online event, it's best of one, especially if you're on the ladder. It's just one and done. So a lot of times you'll see if a player has a bad hand, they'll just scoop it up and go to the next game. And then you won't even get to test against whatever they're playing or that kind of matchup. So knowing when to scoop and, and learning that through tabletop content is very important. Uh, again, time management. Uh, also, like Andy mentioned, prize checking. Uh, again, it's it's very time consuming, and in PTCGO, you know everything's lined up for you in the in the four ofs or three ofs, and it's very very easy to check it. It's it's a good start when you're learning the game and learning how to prize check, but when it comes to prize checking IRL, it can be very difficult. Um, I think another thing Andy did mention is strategizing uh like like knowing what your opponent hand is based on their body language you'll find oftentimes that if they have a pretty bad hand their hand will be on the table and their hands will be kind of on their head or they will appear agitated or stressed and that's how you know like hey maybe i shouldn't marnie this turn maybe i should research uh things like that and i guess in some people's minds personally i don't believe it but uh as they call it rng or PTCGO hands, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of people do think that um, because they're playing the online game or because they just made a, a change to their deck list, that is going to end up in their starting hand or they're just going to have bad hands. It's true. I don't think it is. <laughs> I, I have to agree with you guys completely. Um, I'm not a big fan of online. Um, I, I just think... It's boring to me personally um, because part of the fun of the game for me, like Andy was saying, is like reading your opponent. Like, I there's so many games that I've won because, sure, my opponent got set up, but then like there was a missed action, or you know, once they get their couple things set up, you know, you see him like kind of toying between two cards in their hand, and they're making, you know, they they halfway play it and they pull it back, and then halfway play it again, and you can just by reading them it's like that hard decision you know and it's like okay so they must have something that's really difficult that they just like they don't know if this is the right play or if they're going to be able to recover and i mean yeah that is a huge factor for me um which i agree with you guys on that that makes that can make all the difference in in the game of pokemon um i think that's really cool and i and i love that you guys on your channel i've 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 tuned into a couple twitch streams kind of going back to earlier how you said, talked about you you show your misplays or how to get out of tough situations instead of just like you said on PTCGO where people scoop it up. I love that you guys are able to, or you guys continue to go through and, you know, potentially bring back games that might have been lost and show how to get out of those difficult situations instead of, you know, like you said, some of these big-time streamers that all they do is play T PTCGO, they're literally, they go, Oh, this hand's dead. Scoop it up, or oh, I, I have a winning position against this person, but they're not going to play it out because they see I'm going to win anyways, and they scoop it up. So it's like you don't get really great content from PTC. Like, there's great content from PTCGO, but I feel like tabletop content for me personally is so much better because you're getting that personal ability. You're seeing the how to get through situations is not just all right, quick, 
click next game and go on. So I, I really appreciate that you guys do that kind of stuff. Yeah, thank you. Very cool. And then one last question I wanted to ask you guys. Um, what advice do you have for people who are starting to transition into webcam platforms, given that PTCGL is atrocious and PTCGO will not um, support the new Scarlet Violet set? Uh, so I actually uh, went through a little bit of a process of um, building. You can see there's like some PVC piping. We have some PVC piping holding up a camera. Um, honestly, the best advice I have for anybody that's trying to either make content or just play uh, webcam battles is that the setup is one portion of it. But if you're uh, focused on the setup, you're not focused on your play. Um, so as important as it is to make it look good and sound good and you know you want viewers to watch you or you want your opponent to like see your hand or whatever um you need to focus on playing the game because i think one of the biggest aspects that's lost in tabletop gameplay for content creation and i i've seen this in you know uh some of the mahone videos uh i really like his content because it's you know it teaches players how to play the game that being said, I feel like it's very, uh, I'm going to play this card. And then it zooms in on this card. And then he talks about this card. And then he does the action of that card. And it goes through. But uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like an actual game. And I think that's the number one aspect of playing online, playing a webcam battle, uh, is that you should focus on the setup, but not so much that it's going to hinder your ability to play the game. Because if you're trying to get better at the game, then you know what's the point of what's the point of playing the game and showing others and stuff if you, if you're not going to play it to the fullest of your potential. Gotcha. So, so but, let me let me rephrase this question. Oh, yeah. um, if someone wanted to transition into webcam tabletop play, where where should they start? Give me like your earliest tabletop build before the PVC pipe and all that fun stuff. If you're just trying to hash out games and make it as easy as the you know first time webcam player. Where would you start? I know Matt mentioned that there have been some people online uh, that have just stacked up ETBs and thrown their phone on top mm -hmm. and uh, did a Discord call. Uh, Discord, one of the best ways in the 21st century to communicate with people um, and show face cams, uh, do games and stuff. I think one of the most important things is if you have a computer and you have a phone to utilize both of them so that you can watch your opponent play the game and videotape you doing the game. I think that's a really important aspect of it because you could put your phone way up in the sky and record your game, but you're not going to be able to see your opponent uh, play the game. So it's it's important to be able to view your opponent's board and what they're doing instead of just hearing it because... Uh, might as well just play PTCGO at that point. But uh, one of the big things that I uh, learned when I was first starting up is like you, you can just you can just use the resources that were given to you, right? The books, books, ETBs, stack stuff up really high, get your playmat out, put your phone on top of those uh, things that you just stacked and record it. And as long as your opponent can see what you're doing, you're good to go. Yeah, I would like to to add based off of that. Um, Andy did mention that I had seen some like pictures of players doing this. So um, in Japan, it is more common to do tabletop gameplay and tabletop content. Um, even PTCGO games weren't really the popular way to go. Um, and I think with PTCGL coming out, um, it's just going to be the same way for them. So. I can't remember the player's name, but they are a Japanese player, and they took a picture of their setup, which was just a couple books, some elite trainer boxes, and a wire rack, and they had their phone on it so the camera can poke through the wire rack, and it records their gameplay. So when they do um, webcam battles or just any kind of content like that, it's a lot easier. And um, also... With tabletop content, you can still do it with PTCGL, but again, like Andy said, you can't see your opponent's hand when you're playing an online client. At least yet. Maybe they will give you an option when you're testing, like open hand. That would be super cool. But 
the importance of playing those matches back. So a big reason we record our matches is not only for the public to view them and learn from it, but also for us. We can learn from our misplays and uh, our opponent's misplays, what we could, just what we can improve on or what we did that was good. And uh, we learn matchups even better that way is by watching our own matches back. No, very cool. It's really good insight on that stuff. I know we have a huge community um, that are trying to make that transition with PTCGO no longer getting its support. Um, they all want to go to webcam games, and I, I do too, so I think that that's really cool. Last week I tried to go do the webcam wars with a nine card in them, and that unfortunately didn't fire due to lack thereof interest in doing so. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, th I think that a tabletop webcam gameplay is going to be the a big portion of the future of content this side of the uh you know on this side of the world yeah and i would like to add a quick piece of advice for those who are starting out on it i think it's good to you know again you could do the wire rack strategy with uh, some etbs and your phone but if you want to create content out of that never be afraid to improve or take the next step or learn something new and uh, this is something I learned from Andy is when um, like I felt like, hey, our setup looks nice. I'm comfortable with it. He's always finding ways to improve it, whether it's the lighting or uh, adding a face cam or just 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 anything really like adding more boxes to make it a little bit higher so you can spread out your board state more. So it's not all smashed together. Just always improve your setup if you really want to create content or you have a passion for it that's how you can help yourself stand out from a lot of creators yeah very cool yeah i like the idea of always improving for sure uh, but yeah i really do appreciate you guys expanding on that topic for me that's that's something that we're very interested in doing going forward uh, quick patreon discord update our last GLC Locals on PTCGO is March 8th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we are making it open for anyone and everyone to come play. Uh, so make sure you come join us for one last ride on PTCGO. And then from that point forward, if we're doing GLC, it'll be on webcam. Uh, the winner of this event will receive some CRZ codes for PTCGO. And you can carry them over to PTCGL if you felt like uh before we go ahead and plug the show let's do predictions for the vancouver regionals that are happening next weekend justin what are your thoughts buddy uh man just how we're seeing some of these tournaments and the the mixed top eights and stuff like that it's going to be kind of hard to predict this one um I think I'm going to go the easy route, though, um, or semi-easy route, and pick Mu VMAX. Since we didn't see any of it in Perth, I think it might have a little bit of a resurgence coming up in Vancouver. So we'll go with that because I also don't just want to pick Lugia. Yeah, very cool. Andy, what are you thinking? So uh, Matt and I actually talked about this for a while coming back from the 1K we saw huge success with Gudra. That being said, Gudra is not very good against Lugia, one of the best decks in the format. But, uh, you know, then Lugia is not very good against the Lost Box or Vikavolt decks. So I think a good combination of the two um, is a really good idea. I've seen, of course, the Lugia that has the Vikavolt inside of it. That's a really good matchup for some of the Lost Box decks. Um, I think the Lost Box with a Vikavolt inside it is really good. I think the plain vanilla Vikavolt deck is also just a strong option. Just the item lock is so good against your early round opponents because if it's a newer player, they're just not going to be able to respond. And Vancouver, of course, we're expecting to be a lot bigger than the Perth, probably 10 times the size. So uh, actually, though, fun fact, our friend Parker Lish uh, was the is the reigning champion uh, from last year's Vancouver, and he's not going to be there. I know a bunch of people were talking about that um i was expecting him to be there but there's a lot of uh his friends that are playing rcs uh toolbox decks so super excited to see if any of them could pull through and get to the top eight with rcs once again exposing their play unreal <laughs> <laughs> matt what are you thinking so andy did mention this deck as we have talked about it before i really think that uh first place finish uh, at bokum 
that Lugia list was super, super cool with the Vikavolt and the Zapdos. Um, I just think, I don't, maybe it's not going to be that kind of Lugia deck that'll win, but it will be some sort of Lugia deck with the surprise factor. Um, even that Zapdos can attack for 110 uh, with a choice about 140. Multiply that by 2, that's knocking out another Lugia V-Star with a Zapdos, a one-prize attacker. But, um, yeah, the Vikavolt one was super cool, and I think it will gain some steam. So I do think it's going to be a Lugia deck with uh, that surprise factor tech card. I'm probably going to hop on the same train, and I think that Wash Energy makes an appearance back into the um, Lugia deck, but um, that's about as much surprise factor as I assume will be in there. Uh, probably no bird keeper, maybe something along the lines of like a insert Sharon's care here type of deal. Uh, but other than that, I think that Lugia is going to be my pick for Vancouver. Cool. And that, that does it for the show. Uh, controlled chaos. Why don't you guys let everybody know where they can find your content at before we, uh, sign off. So we have a bunch of things. Uh, number one, we do a bunch of giveaways on Instagram. You can follow us at Controlled Chaos Gaming. It's a huge giant eyeball with a C and a C and a G uh, around it. And then we've got our YouTube channel where we post uh, VODs and just videos of our, uh, sorry, vlogs, not VODs, vlogs and then uh, videos of our tabletop content. And that is Controlled Chaos Gaming. And then we've got our Twitch channel, which is Controlled underscore Chaos Gaming. We didn't quite get uh the name fast enough but that is where we stream live mondays wednesdays and fridays pretty soon five days a week yeah, very cool very cool so make sure you guys check them out and see what kind of tabletop you want to do based off of uh what they're doing and make sure you uh like and subscribe to all their stuff too very very cool content on that side of the spectrum justin why don't you go ahead and plug the show yeah, uh, if you guys want to find me on Twitter, my handle is PokeBrewsTCG. And if you want to find me on Instagram, my handle is PokeBrews. Um, Insta Instagram is the easiest way to reach me. Uh, on both socials, you can find my Linktree account, where you can find things like my TCG Player Affiliate link. If you use that link, any shopping you do directly supports the show and upcoming regional expenses, um, all while costing you nothing extra, of course. Um, you can also find things uh, like our PCS Podcast official merchandise by Bonfire. That link, uh, if you don't go to the link tree, is bonfire.com slash store slash pcspod. We also have a Twitch channel. Um, we will be live streaming the pod every week as well as doing some tabletop games. Once we get that going, of course, um, we're still in the works with that, so hopefully we'll get that going soon. Um, and then on to you, Drew. All right. If you want to hit me up on socials, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Katana TCG. I also have a YouTube channel where I just uploaded a video on SpideOps EX on Katana TCG on YouTube as well. When you're checking out Ink Gaming, make sure you're using the code PCSPOD10 for 10% off your entire order. And when you're there, make sure you're checking out Ultimate Guard's premium products and accessories. If you'd like to join our Patreon and support the podcast, uh, Make sure you check out patreon.com slash podcast. You get entries to the monthly giveaway and you get entrance to the PCS locals where we will be transitioning on to webcam. And that about does it for the show. Andy, Matt, thank you so much for being here. Justin, sign us off. We'll catch you guys after Vancouver. See ya.